Uploading Ideas to Change the World, the podcast of the Socialist Workers' Party. Each week we'll be bringing you original content and analysis of the social, economic and cultural questions facing the world today. Hi everyone and welcome to today's Socialist Workers' Party Facebook Live beating Lockdown to Liberation, Women and Coronavirus. Um, my name is Lorna McKinnon. I'm a member of the Socialist Workers' Party up in Glasgow, or down in Glasgow, depending on where you're watching this from in the world. Um, I'm going to be chairing the meeting today and introducing our speakers who are going to be getting us started shortly. Before they kick us off, just a couple of announcements. Firstly, you can comment throughout the meeting in the Facebook comments below, especially want to encourage questions for the speakers because we're going to be having a couple of rounds of questions, so do keep them coming in. We want to hear from the fantastic panel that we've got lined up, but we just as much want to hear from you at home as well. So keep those questions coming in. The second thing, of course, is, you know, please do share the, the stream widely so we can reach as many people as possible. You can also tweet the stream uh, at the hashtag healthbeforeprofit. Uh, some of our speakers, I'll say now, are also authors of books which are available to order from from Bookmark's Bookshop, which is still open, and doing deliveries. Um, so I'm just going to exp- explain quickly uh, how the meeting's going to work, and, and I'm going to introduce our three speakers before we bring the first one in. Um, we're going to hear today from Sarah Bates, socialist worker, journalist. Sarah's written a lot as well on uh, the coronavirus and women as well, and, and you can find some of her articles online or on our website. Um, we also have Judy Cox uh, joining us today, teacher in East London and the author of the book, The Women's Revolution. And we're very happy to have Selma Umari as well joining us today. Selma's a French activist with the new anti-capitalist party. <clears throat> so it's a brilliant panel of speakers we've got for you today. All the speakers are going to um, in turn speak for a bit and then we'll move on to our first round of questions. We'll be having two rounds of questions though, so once again, just do keep them uh, coming in, posting in the comments section. Uh, so, without further ado, Sarah, you can you can kick us off today, over to you. Brilliant, thanks, Nona. Um, so, our lives have completely transformed in the last month or so, hasn't they? Uh, life under lockdown, I think, has helped highlight a bit how we live our lives and how parts of our society are structured. Uh, coronavirus has produced a situation, I think, where existing inequalities and oppressions are exacerbated. And for working class people and working class women in particular, Uh, their lives have got much harder. Uh, One thing that's come from this crisis is that it's it's exposed how much working class women do in everyday life because the vast majority of care in society, paid uh, or unpaid, is undertaken by working class women and their labour is really critical to keeping society ticking along. Uh, For instance, I mean, just look at who is filling the supermarket shelves or who is uploading the online lessons uh, or staffing the COVID-19 wards or working in care homes. You know, these people are overwhelmingly women. And it's an irony that these industries are often kind of patronisingly dismissed as women's work, you know, but now they're seen as absolutely crucial, uh, crucial to society. 
But even this experience of uh, women workers is one shaped by women's oppression. Uh, you know, for instance, there's reports from frontline health workers that their personal protective equipment, their PPE, doesn't fit properly. Um, and it's putting their lives at risk, or even more at, at risk as a result. Why is this? Uh, because the PPE is designed for men, despite the fact that uh, at least 75% of NHS workers are women. You know, you're hearing reports from these health workers that, uh, you know, women workers are actually failing tests, that their masks, uh, you know, are supposed to fit, fit correctly. So they simply just don't have the same level of critical uh, protection. But outside the workplace, outside the care homes, the supermarkets and so on, most caring society falls on women's shoulders. Uh, the Young Women's Trust released a study um, earlier this year that said that just the housework performed by women in Britain is worth at least £140 billion every year. That's more than the £132 billion a year generated by the financial sector. But we hear countless headlines, don't we, worrying about how the city is going to cope with the pandemic and, you know, talk of bailing out the banks again. Yet there's no discussion about how working class families and women in particular within these families can deal with the added burden that is heaped on them by this crisis. And of course, it's a situation heightened by a decade of austerity. You know, the toys smashing apart large part of public public services that make make life bearable, more bearable. Some people uh, argue that actually, in some ways, it makes sense for women to do all this work, that we're somehow naturally good at multitasking our brains work that way. Or maybe we're biologically attuned to kind of being more caring and maternal towards other people. Or some people argue that it's the lifelong process of socialisation into gender roles that actually makes it impossible uh, for people to break out of those roles. But if that were true, if we really were biologically uh, attuned to fill these certain roles, child rearing would have always been the preserve of women in, uh, throughout history. But we have a different, uh, we have a different theory. Marxists use materialist explanations to understand women's oppression and we look at the development of human societies and look at how uh, human uh, behaviour uh, and uh, behaviour and ideas have changed um, as a result of development within societies and women's oppression uh, like any other kind of uh, prejudice or bigotry is not an inevitable feature of human society. And we can see this by looking at uh, societies in the past, because up until um, around 10,000 years ago, humans lived differently. Uh, Labour was performed collectively inside small, uh, small groups of people and small family units, similar to the ones that we might recognise today. These only developed after society reached a particular point in its productive capacity and split into classes. The Marxist Engels called this the world historic defeat of the female sex, because for the first time, women were confined more to child rearing and their labour was assigned uh, less status within society. Now, the myths around women's, uh, you know, their brains, their behaviour, the myths around women's role of nurturing, being nurturing caretakers, this actually flowed from this dynamic, not the other way around. Of course, now our lives, they look wildly different, don't they? Uh, look very different to our ancestors 10,000 years ago. 
But the family unit within that class society performed much the same function as it does today. For instance, lockdown means that um, all parents are expected to take care of their children now 24-7. There's almost no resistance or even discussion around the idea that parents who are holding down their own jobs often, you know, don't have the material or the emotional capacity to be able to provide unlimited care and attention uh, to children. Now, this responsibility, you know, this homeschooling uh, and so on, this falls more to mothers than to fathers. Why is this? Um, it's partly because of how the world of work, work is organised. Um, you know, when couples have children, women are more likely to go into part-time insecure and badly paid work um, as a result. Even uh, maternity and paternity benefits are allocated, organised on the basis that women will simply do more parenting um, than men. Um, and unequal pay means men are more likely um, to receive a higher wage than women. So it actually makes sense for men to stay in full time work and for women to take on more of these responsibilities um, for a lot of families. So when it comes to the crunch, whether that crunch is a global pandemic or whether you know the child is ill um, you know this responsibility this care is shouldered by by women not because um, that's how their brains are wired but because that's how how work and their families are organized as a result um, I think it's important just to say that the family is so critical the unit of the family is so important um, it's not simply just a byproduct of class society, but it actually plays a critical role in maintaining capitalism. And it does this both economically and ideologically. Um, in the first instance, um, bosses rely actually on this unpaid labour that I talked about, this, these billions and billions of pounds uh, that women do. They, they rely on the unpaid labour of parents in raising the next generation of workers who, when these children come into adulthood, they're healthy, they're socialised, they're educated enough to be productive workers. And secondly, because these caregiving responsibilities act as a central justification uh, for women's uh, oppression. In fact, the family is so pervasive, it impacts on society as a whole, regardless of how you as an individual choose to live your life. So you don't get to escape sexist stereotypes about what women and what people are supposed to be like, um, even if you know you, you sort of you're not a mother or you're not a parent, because these ideas are pushed so forcefully from the top of society. You know, women are paid less than men, whether they have children um, or not. This can partly be explained uh, by old-fashioned sexism, bosses simply not picking women for promotion or for overtime and things like that. But like I said, a key factor is how these types of jobs that women go into are dismissed um, as, uh, as women's work and are shaped by women's caregiving roles in society. Um, so, but jobs like um, you know, nursing people in a COVID-19 ward or organising food distribution, these aren't a natural extension of our, our womanhood. It takes real skill and exp experience to perform these roles and they they are a really critical, uh, critical uh, role in society. But I think the ideological role of the perfect family plays a really important, uh, really important role in society. We hear all the time, don't we, politicians espousing this idea of hardworking families. 
But, you know, the Tories' austerity programme, benefit cuts and privatisation of public sector actually undermine the support that working class, uh, you know, families need. And actually, in reality, um, for some people, for a lot of people, you know, families are not a happy, this happy and harmonious ideal that is projected onto us. They are, in, you know, the family home is the place where most, uh, the place where people are most likely to experience neglect, abuse or violence. And the pressure of lockdown, uh, the pressure of the coronavirus will intensify or is intensifying intimate partner violence and the services that support, uh, support people. However, for the most part, our families are actually places where we do experience love and support a lot of the time. Nobody says, uh, says or feels like they want to have a baby so they can reproduce the next generation of workers. That's not how it feels, is it? You know, they want to have children because, um, you know, uh, they, it's an expression of support, isn't it? And love and connection in what often is a very cruel and difficult world. Um, but just finally, I just want to say that... Um, I think it's important that we acknowledge as well that there's no kind of universal experience of womanhood. Uh, you know, there's no uh, one way or one way to, to, live, to live as a woman under capitalism. You know, uh, that's true, but that's also, that's true in lockdown, but it's also true of living in the system more broadly. Um, and I think that's why we need to look at why experiences of women are the same, but also how they're different, because... Um, self-isolation for an ASDA worker on a zero-hours contract or a CEO who's sort of working from a home office, actually those self-isolation experiences are going to be wildly different. So I think we need to understand the role that class plays in oppression, you know, and use that understanding to help us to understand the unique experience of women, uh, but use that to um, arm us in the struggles to come. Because part of what we need to do now, part of the fight now, is raising demands that ease some of the burden that are pushed on working class women through the ideological construct and the material reality of the nuclear family. You know, these can include fighting for childcare support, emergency food, food parcels, proper PPE, um, and support for domestic violence services, among, amongst lots of other things. But I think it also means analysing the material reality of capitalist society, looking under the bonnet, as it were, and, and not just looking at the outward appearance of things. And I think ultimately it, it means fighting for an alternative socialist system where production and the reproduction of human life is organised in the interests of ordinary people and not organised in the interests of bosses. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Sarah, for that introduction. We're going to move to our second speaker, Selma Umari. I'm just going to say for folk that might have joined us more recently, Selma is an activist for the new anti-capitalist party. So Selma, whenever you're ready, over, over to you. Okay. Um, thank you for the invitation. Uh, first, um, I would like to, well, what, what, what Sarah's just said is, is quite right, that the lockdown has exaggerated sexism, but at, at the same time, uh, I'd like to give a few examples in which you can see that when people organize, women organize and organize solidarity, it is possible to, 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 to offer uh, alternative solutions on the coronavirus crisis and the lockdown in which we are. But before that, uh, I would like to assess um, the fact that there's been a 
big social movements before the lockdown happened and that those social movements are still trying to organize themselves despite uh, this lockdown and the isolation of the people. So those movements were, there was a huge pensions movement uh, against Macron's reform, neoliberal reform, in which women played a key role, in which uh, feminist movements were at the center because women were uh, the ones who could be hit, uh, who are hit more uh, economically uh, than, than men if the pension reform passed. The other thing is that uh, the last demonstration before the lockdown started was on the 8th March, and it was a huge demonstration in France. Um, ten thousands of people, even more, uh, were, were on the streets and, and very present. And the day before, there was also a big demonstration by women that has been um, under huge uh, police repression. So you have all this uh, conflicted uh, situation in which women were playing uh, an important role, and this movement uh, is uh, is still is still happening, but in other forms. Uh, the other point is that also on uh, the hospital sector was very much on strike before the lockdown happened. Uh, there were um, hospital staff collectives in which women were also very much involved in it and are still in and still communicated um, communicating about 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 that so you have all this context before the lockdown happened uh, big demonstrations strikes uh, discontent in the hospital so since the lockdown happened then uh, you had uh, also demonstrations from the hospital staff women demonstrating uh, for example when macron came to visit a hospital so uh, there were also uh, protests from, from the staff. Um, the hospital staff has about um, more than 70% of women working in it. So it's one of the biggest, sec biggest sections in which uh, women are working. So even what you said, Sarah, before is not very different from France to the UK because the same social structure uh, exists. So. So you have all these um, protests going on. You also had uh, the fact that the, the, the trade union are playing a key role on that. And so since the lockdown happened, you have all the essential, like all the essential sectors still uh, working on, like care, like food and uh, hospital, so all those sectors in which trade unions also are playing a role into uh, giving rights uh, for women for be better protection, uh, using what we call in France the right to retreat, which is uh, uh, the right for every worker to, um, to not work if the security conditions are not, uh, are not there. And um, at the beginning of the lockdown also we've been um, we, 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 th there were sad news also from people who died, and especially uh, women, um, um, an Algerian, not, not an Algerian, sorry, but um, Aisha Issa Duden uh, was working in a supermarket in the neighborhood, in the hood of Saint-Denis, uh, which is northern, northern Paris, and uh, she, downed, she died, sorry, she died like, um, few days after the lockdown, 
which means that she might she 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 got it by going to work, continuing to go to work despite uh, in the absence of uh, safety of sanitary uh, disposition to to protect uh, the, the, these workers or like she did. So so there were lots of also rage at that because uh, also black women arab women are very much exposed to the this kind in in this kind of uh, of labels and she is one of of those who died because of the lack of um the lack of of safety from her bosses but at the same time the undermining of the sickness by the state so you had you had also a you have also a dramatic situation in which uh, working means uh, for those people uh, more risks of uh, getting uh, sick and die. And you also have uh, an increase in uh, domestic abuse, like more than 30% of, of, of women are victims, of, well, are calling, not victims, because victims are even more than people who call, but there were many complaints and uh, and at the same time, also, uh, the family planning has registers, re registered sorry, more than uh, an increase in 50% of the calls for uh, late abortions. So how do feminist uh, movement respond to that is by uh, doing some online campaigning, comp uh, campaigning uh, but also um, mediatic pressure, pressure over uh, deputies, politicians, etc., uh, trying to open new services uh, for women's care, trying to find out how uh, women who are uh, under threat could be uh, sheltered, uh, put in security, uh, and also giving, giving, um, trying to raise awareness around, for example, you're living in a neighborhood and you're hearing cries or people screaming and stuff like that. How do you react? How do you respond to that? So there are some online training on, uh, uh, to respond to those situations. So there's been also uh, like online grouping, online organizing around uh, tackling uh, sexist violence uh, in, in, in the neighborhoods. And some, some, some of these campaign received few gains trying to, um, for example, on the abortion issue, on the late abortion issue, they managed to obtain uh, long, longer delays than we have in France. In France, it's much lower than other countries in Europe. So they managed to, to get like extra two weeks uh, for women's possibility to access to, 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 to abortion. And, and so it, give, it gave also confidence to, to, to move forward to that. There's been also lots of, um, I would say, humanitarian work, but humanitarian work in the coronavirus uh, context is, has, has also a strong political meaning. For example, I can cite one of our comrades. She's very, he's very active in, in trans, uh, transgender uh, solidarity and is trying to provide food for tra trans workers who had to stop. So they, some of them are sex workers, for example. So they are particularly exposed to, to the virus and have no other choice and are left with no money. So there is a campaign also to pressure for them to get a basic income. Uh, 
and at the same time trying to respond to uh, have a specific answer on sanitary having how to give uh, sanitary products uh, food the basic thing but also um, trying to, to, to make a connection. It's not just humanitarian as, um, groups who come and save. It's also the self-activity of the trans women who manage to organize solidarity between themselves. Many of them also don't have, are undocumented. And so many of them also don't speak French. So you have all this, um, all, all this connection can only be done and, and needs can only be answered by uh, by, by by the ones who who knows what it means to be a trans woman but also um an undocumented uh woman who who's left with with nothing at the end of the month so there are emergency but there are also uh, solidarity that is built around this and um and, and and this this is continuing despite the lockdown it, it is getting worse but at the same time there is there is solidarity that helps uh, people uh, to 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 be better better organized. Um, I think I've been a bit too long. I just finish on on, on this. Uh, so schools are reopening. They are trying to reopen kindergartens uh, to say that, like using the argument that parents uh, are taking care of their children all day long. That this is increasing uh, social inequality, etc. Okay. Uh, but the problem is that the sanitary conditions are very problematic and also that most of the people who also care of the kids in schools are women like 83 percent of the person who keep your children all day long and is teaching your children all day long uh, are women at the same time so you're just uh transferring the problem but making making it even worse uh, for safety reasons and I think this also should be raised and can't be resolved uh, fully under uh, the capitalist system because uh, we need to rely more on this capacity of people uh, to self-organize like the conditions of the lockdown are very paternalistic uh, you have to stay home you're like in home arrest you can't let the children get connected into each other you can't organize local groups really because you are not allowed unless you get arrested for that so it's it, so, so, so we, we we can provide solutions we can provide alternative solutions that that can't be solved only by saying stay home or Put your kids at school and and let them and, and and let them be taken care of in horrible conditions. I think other other solution can be raised, and also uh, it can only it, 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 we need women for to do that because uh, the crisis has highlighted the fact that uh, women are playing an essential role in society and shouldn't be underpaid or being undervalued or or be saying that this is free labor, this is not free labor. When seamstresses are, are, are making masks, it's not free labor, it's, it's a labor that has to be recognized as essential, more essential than other lucrative uh, capitalist activities. And this is why we should rely on women's ability to organize and resist about that. And just to end with the uh, last example, like you have seamstresses who started to organize and say that we are not free labor and that our work is essential. So they are organizing very widely. And, and, and this is an interesting situation in which we could uh, support and follow. And I think next, next is to come. Thanks.
Next one, Sam, that was great, thanks so much. Um, we're going to move to the last speaker now for this wee section, Judy Cox. I'll say again, Judy's a teacher in East London and author of the book, The Women's Revolution. So Judy, I pass you the virtual microphone. Thank you. And I just wanted to say to Selma how um, brilliantly she speaks in a language which isn't her first language. And how I wish I had that same kind of ability to speak in another language. And um, I wanted to pick up on the theme that Selma started with, which I think is resistance to oppression, because wherever there is oppression, there is resistance. And to talk about that, I want to talk about three things. Um, just three things, but three quite big things. The past, the present, and the future in under 10 minutes. So what could go wrong? So starting with the past. During lockdown, I've been researching small bio, small biographies of hundreds of women of the working class movement and the socialist movement and the anti-racist movement, hundreds of women who inspired thousands more women to stand up and resist oppression. These are women who spoke out when they were supposed to be silent, who stood out boldly when they were supposed to be cowering and meek, women who refused to be confined physically or mentally to the hearth in the kitchen and reached beyond their individual interests to forge a collective resistance against what the system was doing to them. They looked beyond habit, they looked beyond fear of consequences, fear of ridicule, to action and to hope and to beginning to act against the system. These are women who campaigned, who petitioned, who went on strike, who rioted, who risked their health and their wealth, not just to advance themselves as individuals, but to fight for change on behalf of themselves and others. Many of these are women who began fighting for legal equality, political equality, formal equality, but then realized that if you are a working class woman, equality with a working class man who is also downtrodden, badly paid, working insecure, etc., is not really the uh, most that you can hope for out of the system. Yes, we want equality, but we want real liberation. We want real change. How did we bring slavery to an end? We did it through mass campaigns and slave rebellions in which women took the lead. How did we win the right to vote? Through mass campaigns, through strikes, through militant direct action in which women took the lead. How did we win the right to control our own bodies, to have contraception, to have access to abortion, to challenge sexual harassment, to challenge domestic violence by constant and vigilant campaigning by both men and women? So the women of the past blazed a trail and bequeathed to us a rich tradition of how collective action against the system can see people challenging their old sexist ideas, challenging the habits of the past, and creating a space for women to lead and to explore the full potential of those struggles. Today, let's come to the present. Where are those insurgent women today? It is one year ago since a young woman got onto a car roof in the Sudanese city of Khartoum and started singing revolutionary songs to inspire the crowd to rise up against their corrupt and unjust government. Before that, we saw women on the streets in Lebanon taking part in a mass movement 
in which one woman interviewed said, we've always had this much energy. It's just that this struggle has given us the chance to unleash that energy and to find out who we really are. We saw women taking the lead in huge movements in Chile under the slogan, nunca mas sin nosotros, nothing more without us, nothing more without us women. We saw in India women taking the lead in the struggles against Modi's racist laws against Muslims when a, an Indian activist called Meda Potka said to a journalist, they think as women are shields around the family, but we are swords, sharp swords in the struggle against injustice. Where are those women today, those insurgent rebellious women? They're probably at home trying to plan lessons while homeschooling three children and preparing dinner. They're driving ambulances, they're working in Tesco's, they're cleaning the hospitals, they're working in care homes. These are the women who are beginning to say, it's not enough to clap for the NHS or ask where is our PPE or why we haven't got masks and why we can't be safe at work. They're the women who are beginning to protest and by beginning to protest, beginning to raise questions about the priorities of the system we live in. The great anti-capitalist writer and uh, novelist, Arundhati Roy, has said that historically, pandemics are portals onto another world. So the question is, do we go through to that world dragging the weight of dead ideas, of racism, of sexism, of inequality and humiliation? Do we go dragging the dead rivers, the dead seas and the dead air behind us? Or we, do we tread through the portal lightly, imagining a new world, and preparing to fight for that world. Because we don't want to go back to normal if normal is a world of sexism, of commodification of the human body, where women are undervalued, where women can be used and thrown aside, where women are systematically oppressed in our society. We don't want to go back to the capitalist death machine. We want to wrest power from a system which risks our very annihilation through pandemic, through war, through climate change, through economic crisis. And when we think about how we can wrest that power, where, where the power in society lies, it lies in our hands. It lies in the hands of the garment worker in Bangladesh, the bus driver in London, the woman who's delivering the Amazon parcels. We want democratic control, not just of who represents us in parliament, but over every single aspect of our lives. Who should run our hospitals, if not the nurses, the doctors, the cleaners and the patients? How much better would our schools be if they were run not by penny-pinching, budget-holding bureaucrats who are all obsessed with performance-related pay? How much better would they be if they were run by the teachers, the teaching assistants, the parents and the children themselves? Who better to distribute the goods that we need around the world than the workers of Amazon? When you think not only about democracy, but the vast economic resources we have at our disposal, then those are resources which we could begin to use to meet human need. Not only immediately taking over the wealth of Bessos from Amazon or Bill Gates or whoever these huge multimillionaires are, but in the future, beginning to plan how we can use our resources in harmony with the natural world and to meet 
all of our needs to liberate women from the drudgery of housework so that cooking could be a hobby and not a daily chore so that children could be looked after collectively so that old people could be cared for in the way that they deserve and so when we're thinking about that new world that we might be able to build when we've gone through the portal of coronavirus, then we need to say no socialism without women's liberation and no women's liberation without socialism. Nice one. Thanks so much, Judy. That's brilliant. Um, what a great start. I'll say just now that there's around 350 people tuning in live across Facebook, YouTube and Twitter right now. That's amazing. So do keep sharing. Um, just to make it clear once more to the viewers, we're going to have two rounds of questions. Um, many thanks to everyone that's, that's written in so far. I'm going to read out a few questions now, but once again, what want to keep hearing from you, so, um, so do keep the questions coming in. What we've done is picked out three questions that kind of sum up the main arguments and ideas that have been coming out of the comments section so far. So I'm just going to rattle through them just now, and I'll read them out in succession, and then we'll go back to the speakers and they'll get the opportunity to respond. So the first question is from Isabel. She asks, we're told to stay safe by staying at home, but we know that the home is unsafe for many women. How can we fight to ensure that women can stay safe from the virus as well as from other harms they may face in the home? The second question is from Liz. The care sector has huge numbers of women working in it, usually in low-paid jobs with long hours. When we say things can't go back to how they were before, what's the best way to make sure these women workers are properly valued and properly paid? And the third question, the last question, is from Erica. She asks, how can we prevent the stereotypes of women as caregivers and their main role being in the family? So if it's okay with the speakers, we're going to jumble the order a wee bit now, starting with Selma this time. Uh, if you want to get us started, Selma, then whenever you're ready, take it away. Yep. Um, about the first question, well, um, I can only talk about the situation in France, but I think I've, get, uh, I've said it in my talk uh, that feminist groups are organising online that they are also giving advice, giving numbers, they've uh, compiled, for example, all the numbers you can call when you witness or when someone uh, witnesses um, sexist, sexist violence. They try also to make uh, like clips with personalities talking about talking directly to women, like women talking to women, famous women talking to women, or you know, and saying and, and trying to, to give them confidence to do that. So you have those kind of campaigns happening, and uh, yes, there must be some uh, you know, uh, local feminist group existing or groups that are specialized on tackling uh, sexist violence. So you have you you have also um, there are also those the, the, those things, or you can set up your own um, if maybe it already exists, but your own uh, group of people in the neighborhood, uh, feminist group in the neighborhood, trying to take care of each, each other. Uh, this is something that I've, I've seen uh, in, um, in Facebook, for example, just in my 
own neighborhood or, or even in Paris you have uh, these kind of groups uh, that can shelter women or giving support or giving psychological free psychological support but also towards LGBT towards uh, children towards uh, uh, gay children that didn't uh, come out for example you have also such such situations and the other elements I think we are all well it's my case also uh, under train around uh, our ability to identify um, sexist abuse from the outside because they can also be psychological not only not only explicit and so there are some trainings exist or if it doesn't exist uh, I should encourage you to 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 find a way to 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 to, to open training so so I think things uh, it's possible but it means that you need to to to, re, to to relate to other groups or finding uh, feminist groups trying to organize uh, on the second uh, on the second point about the care sector uh, all I can say is that uh, we have to support the existing movements uh, or supporting uh, these women's staff but not not so I think there is a necessity at during during the situation not at the end of the lockdown to to, to, to give economic support for, for the hospital in general. But it's right that we need to uh, have also a specific campaign around uh, women's being underpaid and as well as migrants also. Uh, many of them died from the coronavirus uh, and are still underpaid. So all those elements of uh, mistreatment, mis underpaying of, of, of this staff needs to be addressed specifically within a global uh, campaign to support the hospital. That's the only way I think that could uh, really help them to, to, to respond to, 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 the, to, to this specific demand before, because of this specific uh, different treatment. For example, during the pensions movement, women really uh, organized themselves also as women during the demonstration to highlight uh, women's uh, women's uh, women's situation, um, so specific campaign is important. Um, on the third uh, on the third matter, I think it's a very complicated question, but it's a good question: how to prevent the stereotypes of women as caregivers. Uh, I think it's maybe others uh, the other speakers will we 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 will develop on the matter, but. If there is a stereotype, it means that also these these works are uh, undervalued, and that we need more caregivers in society than what we have, and that they should be better paid, like uh, like like Liz said uh, on the second question. And at the same time, it it means also trying to uh, stop the division of labor as as it is. So it means also another way to organize society, like. The thing is that you can't blame women for doing women's job. I think it's not your question what you've been saying, but the fact is that most of women are there and we should value them for what they are. And uh, at the same time, there is maybe there is the question of if you, if you value better, then uh, not only women will do it, everybody will do it, uh, every genders will do it. If you make it as a central element of how society should be working, it means that there will be more people, more people in it, uh, working on it. But I don't have a, 
fixed question, but the question is good and we should still uh, continue to, to think about it. Thank you. Nice one. Thanks, Selma. And we're going to move to Sarah Bates now. So Sarah, over to you. Yeah, um, on the question about um, making, uh, making sure people are safe at home, I think, you know, if you look at how support services have been accessed over the past few weeks, it's, it's horrifying, but it's no real surprise to me that some charities are reporting 120% uh, increase in the amount of people ringing their, their helplines and, and some are reporting a tripling of access to, the, to their websites. I think, first of all, we need to place this in the context of huge cuts to the sorts of services that help, um, you know, uh, help victims um, of, of domestic violence. I think the Tories have pledged something like two billion pounds to, to, to facilitate uh, services during the lockdown. Um, not only is that not enough, it comes in the context of over a decade of, uh, you know, cutting those services, closing down refuges that are, you know, are an emergency service. So it's absolutely not true that these uh, people in, in the cabinet um, care about the fate of working class uh, people, working class women in the home who are suffering, uh, you know, from from violence I mean in terms of how we we make people safe again it is it is quite a quite a quite a complicated answer to try and get across in a few minutes but people come under enormous stress and strain during capitalism in, in capitalist life often the only place they feel uh, like they're able to kind of um, express that and horrifically take it out on on those around them I think if we, we, we look at the family, it's seen as a completely private sphere that is completely isolated from, 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 ev from everywhere else where the problems are supposed to be sort of kept in the family, aren't they? You know, even the term kind of domestic dispute is, it kind of implies that it's, it's a private issue. This is reflected in the way that um, authorities treat things like domestic uh, uh, violence are simply something that is a private matter not to be kind of really um, you know interfered with and they you can see that in the way they treat um, people uh, people who report it um, I think just on the on the second uh, on the on the second question just about care work I think it's a really good question um, the the situation facing care workers and indeed service users of lots of uh, care services is quite bleak. Um, eight, something like eighty eight percent of care workers um, are women. Um, two, two in three of two in three care workers in the private sector are paid below the um, the the real living wage. Um, it is a highly privatised, um, poorly paid, insecure uh, industry for, for workers. I think part of the answer lies in something like the care workers in Birmingham who in 2018 and 2019 staged a series of impressive strikes against a Labour-run council that wanted to split their shifts up um, and not pay them, so effectively um, forcing low-paid women workers to work for 
around five hours for free every single day. Um, this was, a, I think at the beginning, they were a largely ununionized workforce that were lone uh, workers. They struck over a period of 18 months and they won, they won their dispute. But I think the second uh, part of the answer lies in the nature of how care, the care system um, is in Britain. It is a highly privatised industry where the care of vulnerable people is left uh, to bosses who take on contracts uh, to provide care, hoping to cream off the maximum uh, level of profits. It's one where there's thousands of different care uh, providers that produces problems in the day-to-day -day running of the care system but even so more when there's something uh, you know like the coronavirus outbreak really the system starts to completely fall apart um, care managers um, aren't able to get hold of the um, the PPE that people need because they don't have access to it in the same way that local government providers or NHS NHS services do. Uh, it also makes it harder to implement key safety um, uh, you know key safety procedures that keep uh, residents uh, and, and service users and workers safe. But I think ultimately it's about um, creating a service that is for that is run on the basis of what is um, useful for human need rather than profit, which is the absolutely opposite of how the care system uh, is run at the moment. Um, and I think the answer to that lies in the action of, of, of uh, you know, workers like the women in Birmingham who, you know, they were picked on strikers told me because um, the council leaders thought they were an easy target and they proved not to be an easy target uh, because they fought and fought for years and they won in the end so I think it's through workers action um, that we can we can win on these questions and ensure that there is no return to normal. Cheers Sarah, thank you. Judy you're going to finish off this section so over to you Judy. Thank you. Um, Isabel's question, to answer all the questions really, I think coronavirus has been like an x-ray on capitalism and has shown the skeleton which exists beneath the kind of surface appearance of equality and freedom and all those kind of ideas. And so in the first question, the x-ray has really shown up whose work is valuable and whose is not. And inside the home, which is supposed to be our haven from the world, can also be for many people a hell. And for some of us, it can be a bit of both at different times. The home is where we want love, where we seek refuge, where we try to create a little island of our own uh, that reflects ourselves and our own interests, where we give our children love, and hopefully occasionally they love us back. But it's also for many people a hell. And now everybody's talking about domestic violence. The Tories cut 8 million from the domestic violence, violence budget over the last few years. And when Priti Patel gets up and announces some poultry package back, which doesn't cover what they cost, you know, Priti Patel is herself a living embodiment of the fact that the unity that might be amongst the oppressed is totally cut through by class and by politics. And so we can point to those things. And as Sarah said, point to things that can help women's situation in the home. But we have to ask something a bit deeper, which is why do we live in a world where some men, not many men, but some men, think they can take their frustrations out on women and children as if they own them? Why do people stay? 
in terrible relationships which don't nurture them but drain their energy and even put them in violence, in, in, into the threat of violence. And that is alienation. That is not about human nature. That is something that society does to us, where it creates a whole set of expectations and then deprives us of all means of fulfilling them. And that's why the home, under any circumstances, and particularly under coronavirus, can be such a pressure cooker. The second question, the X-ray has shown up who really matters in society. Because what job could be more important than holding the hand of somebody dying alone and reading out the letters from their family, which is what care workers are doing? What job could be more important than that? And so when we get back, we have to say for care workers and Tesco's workers and all those low paid women workers, you clapped for us, you patronised us and told us how important we were, now pay us. Now give us the right to organise. Now give us some freedom at work to decide our own holidays. And don't forget that in the past, many great upsurges of working class struggle have been sparked not by the trade union, well-organised male traditional workers, but by the match women, the care home workers of the day. So that's something we can hope for. Third question. The X-ray has completely exposed that myth of equality. The stereotypes that women are caregivers Therefore, women are teachers and nurses and cleaners. And because women are nurturers and, nurturers and teachers and cleaners, women, the stereotype is fulfilled. I, I want to be a good mom and a good daughter to my parents. And I don't mind if people think I'm nice, so long as they understand that I am also powerful, that I am autonomous, that I don't merely exist to serve other people in the family or in the workplace, that I am a powerful person, that I can claim my equality but I want more than equality with the men of my class. I want to overthrow the stereotypes and I want real liberation. And now more women than ever work outside of the home and are challenging those stereotypes through power, through collective class organisation. Thank you, Judy. That was great. Thanks to all the speakers. Uh, that was a really great first round of questions. <laughs> Um, we're going to move on to a second round of questions now. I'm going to start with a comment from Joy. Uh, Joy says, all women should not go back to work when mandated as a protest. For them to realise how women are essential to, to the workforce and in low paid work, it can be done but at the end of this. Um, I'm going to go to the questions now. So question number one is from Jan. Um, Jan asks, some women are arguing that the virus has been handled better in Scandinavia because they have more women politicians. So would it be better if we had a woman instead of Matt Hancock? Question, was that question one? That was question one. Question two is from Emma. The COVID crisis has highlighted the centrality of women workers while also increasing pressure on women in the home. How can we ensure that women's demands for decent pay and conditions is part of our demands around no going back and no return to normal in response to the COVID crisis? And question three is from uh, Francesca. It has been suggested that women are more likely to support left-wing politics. For example, more women than men were shown to support Corbyn. Uh, what could be the explanation for this? 
So hopefully all our speakers have got those questions noted down. And we're going to reverse the order again, just to keep the speakers on their toes. Um, and we're going to start with Judy this time. So over to you, Judy. Desperately scribbling answers here. Okay, um, on Jan's question, would a woman be better than man, Matt Hancock? I actually think a hamster would be better than Matt Hancock at the moment. More or less, any living sentient being would be better than Matt Hancock because it would be very, very, very hard to think of anybody more duplicitous and um, incompetent and more um, seeking after his own reputation at the expense of all else. The argument about Scandinavia I think is interesting, except it is undercut by Sweden, who have um, refused to go into lockdown and are seeing um, death rates rocket in Sweden. Um, and they are saying that, you know, they've played politics with the lives of people in the care homes uh, who are dying disproportionately. The, I think the argument that lies behind that are, are women kind of more kind and, and generally more gentle and more sensible. Not really, are they? I mean, it would be nice to think so, but I think, um, and it brings me on to Francesca's question, that women um, can support fascist movements. You can have right-wing women. You can have conservative women. It is about class and it is about politics. I think for, for us um, who want to see a change in a different world after the coronavirus, who want to go through the portal treading lightly, imagining and fighting for a different future. It's about how we show women and men that socialism can offer a viable alternative, that protesting can build confidence, can reveal truths about the system, but ultimately it depends on people being able to draw on a rich and radical tradition of working class and women's struggles in order to signpost a, a way to the future, which I suppose answers a bit Emma's question, how can we make sure that women workers who are struggling on the front line and with the lockdown, suffering a, a double burden, when we go back that our demands are central? We have to make sure they are. I mean, I don't think there's a huge argument that women as teachers, women as caregivers should somehow be marginalised from the process. There are subtle ways in which women in the majority of a workforce can still not be represented in, in uh, trade unions who represent that workforce equally. We have to fight to make sure that women's voices and socialist women's voices are those that shape any future society that we uh, manage to build when we get out of lockdown. Absolutely, Judy. Um, thanks so much. Right, we're going to move on to Selma now. So, Selma, whenever you're ready, take it away. Yeah, yeah. I love Jan's questions because uh, it's a really challenging one and it's a, it's a funny one uh, in the fact that you, UK, in my memory, is a country that had a prime minister who was a woman who was the main uh, neoliberal architect of the country, uh, Margaret Thatcher. Uh, so I think it's the, the, one of the most beautiful counter examples that shows that when women are politicians, uh, the, the situation is not better. It can also be worse because it's a matter of a system rather than a matter of individuals. And uh, just to give you the example of France, uh, the previous uh, health minister was a woman, Agnès Buzyn. And when the coronavirus uh, started, she was 
one of she was among the ones who completely undermined it saying that well there are only few cases it's not a big issue so nothing has been prepared to answer to, to to that crisis and the current our current adversary is called Muriel Penico Penico uh, again a woman she's the labor minister and she's among the ones who are pushing who are breaking um, labor labor laws uh, labor labor rights and trying to push uh, more and more workers uh, back to work. So I think it's more, it, it, it's not just a matter of, of, of having just a woman popping up and saying that everything would be handled better. Uh, this, the, the, the truth is that there is an inequality uh, between countries in the way that this crisis is uh, treated, but it's also, I think, linked to uh, the balance of forces, of class forces, general class forces in your country. That explains why uh, France has entered to lockdown earlier than the, in the UK. Um, it's a result, it's also a result as the social uh, existing pressure. Um, so, so yes, that brings me to the other question, uh, which, which is, um, women supporting left-wing politics, then again, it's, it's a matter of, um, I think, why, why are women more into left-wing politics? Uh, maybe it's because uh, left-wing politics is uh, around uh, the self-organization of the people, of um, more common, uh, more putting ideas in common, more uniting forces among the poor, and among the poor there are lots of women, and at the same time, uh, they, are, they, they, they are the one who can be attracted to more uh, social equality as member of the working class, and, and also in the way people get organized. So it's, it's much more a matter of, it's not a, a question of just um, supporting one person or thinking that one person can change the, the, the whole system. It's more about um, campaigning, uh, organizing collectively, but also highlighting uh, the women's role in, 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 in the way you organize yourself. And, and the truth is that women are at the other side because when you see uh, how uh, the elite or the ruling class is organized or who what is the majority of people who are uh, bringing decision? It's it's mostly men. Uh, so you can have a woman here and there, but uh, or just put it at the front to say, look, we are feminists. But the truth is that uh, most of the people who decide uh, are men. So so we are the other side, and our 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 ratio of women and women and men is more equal egalitarian than. Uh, what the system is uh, organized around uh, around uh, ruling class values, ruling class values that that are not that much changing. In fact, uh, on the second question, um, how it has highlighted the centrality of women workers. Um, yes, uh, I think this was this is one of the points we we've we've all. Agreed on, agreed on, and I think we should raise more and more awareness on that, and support uh, support the existing. It it can only only start from the existing activity of the workers and the women workers, and then 
uh, trying to push push forward and support those uh, initiatives. So we have to be, I think, more uh, aware or about the resistance that, ha that are happening around us and trying to support them, but also uh, bring uh, specific demands within these general movements. But it can only be done uh, within the general movement, but also with, uh, with pushing forward those uh, specific demands for better pays and better working conditions. Well, well okay. Thanks again, Selma. All right, Sarah, you're going to close this section, so over to you. Okay, thanks, Lorna. Um, just on the question of um, would would it be better if we had women instead of, of Matt Hancock, etc.? I mean, this was very much an argument taken up by I think it was Amber Rudd uh, last month, who you know launched quite a high-profile attack against. Um, the amount of women that were in the room um, in, I think it was the Cobra meetings you know she said we need more women to sit in the room because we need that kind of experience and so on I mean I think we have to be clear like Amber Rudd um, she's not someone who fights oppression this is someone who has presided over uh, you know she was in the home office when the Windrush scandal broke the the mass deportation um you know of 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 people and i think we have to be careful about the level of significance that is attached to kind of more women being in decision making rooms um you know i don't i don't cheer when i see an all-male uh, cabinet but neither really do i think it's particularly progressive that um amber rudd might be, might sit might sit on it um I don't think that's a step forward. I mean, Rudd is someone who followed, of course, Theresa May, you know, the architect of the hostile environment, someone who wore a T-shirt saying, this is what a feminist looks like while cutting domestic violence services. This is a completely paper-thin attitude towards um, women's liberation. Uh, it's, you know, it's buzzwords and it's kind of fitting in with this idea about um you know this is how you, you fight oppression or whatever just by being in the room and wearing the right t-shirt while um completely attacking and undermining uh, the material uh, conditions that actually mean uh, whether w working class women live or die i think we have to be completely um clear that there is you know there's no automatic unity of the press uh, the oppressed uh, neither Rudd nor May um, cared about the fate the fate of the people that they sent uh, to, to the Caribbean whether they were men uh, or women even though uh, Rudd and, and May are, are you know are women and they do suffer from women's oppression I think we have to be absolutely clear that they are fighters uh, for their class first and foremost um, and I think this informs what we do because I think we also have to be class fighters at the heart of everything we do and we've talked a bit in that in the meeting about how um, class shapes our experience um, of women's oppression but of course if you are a member of the working class it's not just it's not just a sort of another awful thing to happen to us um it's not just about 
being a bit being uh, a bit poor but it's actually a real source of strength um, it, it's kind of what I think Joy and Emma talked about in their questions you know this idea of no going back because you know we've talked about all the all the work that women have to do kind of paid and unpaid work you know but this isn't just another another burden this isn't just another hassle that we have to kind of put up with um it's it shows how critical that labor is that work is how important working class women are and the power that they hold within capitalism because it is action by by women organizing as workers you know that therein that dynamic that power that lies um you know that that's where our power sits for about for a completely different kind of wor world actually not just no going back um to how things were before corona but powering forward to a completely different type of society because ultimately this fight it's not just about the position of individuals but it's about the strength of our class together because it is um you know it's the it's the working class we're the ones with the power we're the ones with the potential to build a bit better world but it it does mean fighting for maximum unity uh within our class between men and women um as members of the working class battling against the whole system the whole system that divides us because ultimately capitalism it hasn't even delivered the formal pro promises uh, the promises of formal equality much less uh, the liberation that we deserve um, and I think we have to fight the whole system not just a piecemeal uh, battle about our individual lives although they are absolutely uh, critical but it's actually about ripping out the whole system ripping out class society and replacing it with something better replacing it with a socialist society and building that together it requires everyone to be involved. It requires everyone to fight for their class as hard as Amber Rudd and Theresa May are fighting for their class because it is possible um, to build a different world, uh, you know, that doesn't have the horrors that capitalism produces, you know, like climate catastrophe, poverty, war. Uh, it's one where working class people uh, live with sort of daily humiliation uh, and being belittled by the system um, and oppressed um, and really I just I suppose I'd end on a question because if you're not a revolutionary socialist why not you should be you should want and you should and you deserve a better world than the one we have now and you should join the socialist workers party you should join us in fighting for a better world thanks so much for that Sarah and to Selma and Judy as well that was an absolutely brilliant meeting Totally enjoyed it. Um, that is all we've got time for today. So I want to say a massive uh, thanks once more to all the speakers and to everyone that's tuned in and posted questions and comments um, in the comment section. I'm going to leave you though with a couple of announcements. You can always reach us on the hashtag Health Before Profit. This meeting as well is going to be posted on Facebook and Twitter. And YouTube if you want to uh, you know pass it on to someone you know or share it or watch it again that is an option for you um, and uh, as I said earlier some of the speakers are authors of books which you can access and order from bookmarks bookshop um, at www.bookmarksbookshop.co.uk and it's worth saying like of course small businesses including bookshops particularly independent 
um, socialist bookshops like Bookmarks are going to be struggling a bit at this time. So this is a really brilliant way that you can support them, uh, but also find out more about some of the ideas that we've been discussing today. So go online and check out the website and, you know, treat yourself, get some books um, or make a wee donation. Um, the second thing I want to announce is next week's uh, Facebook Live meeting as well. Uh, it's a very, very special one called Race, Class and the Coronavirus. We're delighted to have Michael Brown joining us next week for that meeting. Michael is a Black Lives Matter activist in the States. And he'll also be joined by uh, an NHS doctor as well that will be, be speaking as well. It's going to be fantastic, that meeting, and it's not one to miss. So do tune in for that next Saturday, the 2nd of May at 5pm. And the last thing I was going to say is, you know, if you enjoyed the discussion today and, and, and you agreed with the ideas and the politics of the discussion, then, then do think about joining uh, the Socialist Workers' Party. Wherever you are, there will be socialists nearby. Um, there will be socialists in your area holding regular Zoom meetings and organising in your community. Um, so if you're looking to get more involved and you agree with what's been said today, then do think about joining us and, and being a part of helping to fight for a better world, it really is that, that simple. And um, there's a link to join us, which will be posted in the events uh, description for this event. So a final thanks uh, to our speakers, our viewers. Please do um, keep checking uh, out our Facebook page. We'll be having more meetings like this one on the regular. So, uh, you know, do stay in touch, stay safe and stay socialist. Solidarity everyone, cheers. find up-to-date articles at socialistworker.co.uk. If you enjoyed what you heard and would like to join the Socialist Workers' Party or find out more about us, you can go to swp.org.uk. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on facebook.com slash socialistworkersparty, on Twitter at swpbritain, Instagram is socialist underscore workers underscore party, and you can subscribe to our podcast on all major podcast sites, including Spotify, Deezer, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker and iTunes.